This is Valley Views, our weekly conversation with influential and interesting folks from around the Wet Mountain Valley. Today on Valley Views, we're visiting with Charles Anderson, local resident and food aficionado. Today's topic, plain and simple, is food. Charles, welcome to the program. Thank you. So how long have you been in the valley, and what brought you here? We've had a home in the valley uh, for about 20, 21 years, and I've always wanted to have a place in the mountains, and I was brought to the valley by the uh, Rick and Mike at uh, the... Over at uh, Red Rocks uh, Red Ranch? Red Rocks Ranch, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, that's quite a while. You have a history in hospitality management. Yes. And you were telling me, it sounded like you had a very cool job at the Grand Canyon with the famous Fred Harvey restaurant. How did that come about? As uh, part of my education, I was required to work in the food service industry in the, uh, in the summers. And so I applied for a position at Grand Canyon Lodge. And that worked out pretty well. I, I enjoyed the experience, spent a lot of time at the Grand Canyon, but I never did get to the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me a bit about Fred Harvey. I remember the Harvey girls. Fred Harvey is a, a piece of Americana. Fred Harvey made their, their name by taking over food service operations in train stations, bus stations, national parks, and they were very well known uh, by the Harvey girls as their uniform was uh, uh, characteristic. Now, did you have an early interest in food and food preparation? You know, when you were a kid, were you cooking, uh, that sort of thing? Yes, I I did. I I don't know at what age that started, but... uh, I remember my mother was not terribly fond of cooking, and I always say I learned to cook in self-defense. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Now, I know folks like yourself who are food connoisseurs like to entertain and that sort of thing, and I know that's the case for you. What are the key elements of a good dinner party? What do you think about when you're setting up a dinner party? Well, the first thing you consider is who you're going to invite and you want to make sure you've got a, a group that is compatible. Mm-hmm. And then the the next thing is the menu, and the menu has to be appropriate for the guests you're inviting if people have food allergies or dislikes or whatever. And something that I found in the Valley that is sort of different for me is that the, the dinner hour is much earlier here than I am used to. <laughs> What would a start for a dinner party be in the valley for you? Nowadays, we started a dinner party anywhere from 5 to 7 o'clock. And traditionally, I'm in the habit of having dinner somewhere around 9 o'clock. So (laughs) that's a big change. I think my personal style is for the earlier. I tend to be that. But I remember being in Argentina where you'd be starting a steak dinner at 10 o'clock at night. Or midnight. (laughs) You're a wine connoisseur. Is that a fair statement? I enjoy wine, yes. How does the wine enter into your dinner party? Do you think a lot about pairing the wine with the, the dinner? Yes, that's, that's obviously very important. 
I find that uh, in the Valley, people are more inclined to drink wine rather than mixed drinks, and which is what I find in the city. And obviously, the time of day makes a difference. Uh, I have friends that say they'll drink white wine in the daytime, but it's six or seven o'clock in the evening when we switch to red. Do you have favorite wines, favorite wine regions, favorite wine types? Yes, definitely. <laughs> so what, uh, what do you personally favor? We enjoy drinking uh, Sauvignon Blanc and Cabernet Sauvignon, which are very common wines. And depending on the food that's being served, that'll make a lot of difference as to whether we're doing a Cabernet or a Malbec or, or uh, uh, something different. Good, good. Now, you have a background in working with airlines on food. Uh, this is a topic of interest because it's such a challenging environment. An airplane only has so much space. There's not going to be space or time to do much in the way of prep work. Take us into the world of airline food. That's a big topic. <laughs> <laughs> Most people have a certain disdain for airline food. And I'm always confronted with that when people ask me about food. And preparing food for an airline is so different from preparing it in a restaurant or in your home because of the conditions uh, on the aircraft. One, the galley is very small. There's really no preparation that occurs in the galley. The food is all prepared prior to the aircraft taking off. It needs to be refrigerated and or reheated. And the budgetary considerations are significant. And when you talk about airline food, perhaps 25% of the cost of putting that food in front of the passenger is actual cost of food. That's a pretty small amount. Mm -hmm. And uh, the rest of the expense is in the specialized equipment that is used and the preparation on the ground and the uh, transportation of the food to the aircraft. And we find out that probably 30 or 40 percent of the cost is actually the equipment. And it's very specialized equipment. Wow. Are there certain foods that work on airlines and then certain foods that you stay away from for various reasons? Definitely. Uh, you'll find frequently that uh, an airline meal is going to have a sauce with it. The sauce keeps moisture in the food, which is a very important consideration on an aircraft because an aircraft is a very dry environment. Mm -hmm. Are there certain, uh, say, meats that don't work on an airline? We generally try to avoid pork for religious reasons. Mm -hmm. And for cost reasons, we'll, the airline food industry is changing very rapidly, as, as you're aware. And when I first got in the business, we would prepare chicken and we would have a boneless breast of chicken. Nowadays, on the airlines, you're seeing a leg and thigh mm. because it's a less expensive cut of meat. Ah, okay. Are there any domestic airlines known for their focus on foods? I would say that TWA, which of course is no longer, no longer in existence, here, yes. they did a lot of very interesting 
forward-looking things with their food service program. And particularly, they focused on the type of equipment we used to reheat the food and transport the food. Ah, okay. What's the best airline around the world for food? It changes regularly. Singapore Airlines is one of the better ones. And I have been out of the airline food service industry now for several years. I'm sure there are different ones that they change regularly. But Singapore had a very, very good reputation. And what was their secret? Was it, was it food? Was it service? Combination of, of both things. One of the frustrating things for the catering division of the airline is that the people that serve the food, the flight attendants, are not under our control. We have no say in the training, and a big part of their work is serving food. Obviously, safety is the number one priority, mm-hmm. but always the compliments or, or complaints that we receive from the flight attendants have a lot of influence over what we do. Did any of your personal recipes ever end up on the airlines? Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, not a lot, frankly, but uh, yes. Sarah. That wasn't really your focus, but I was just curious. No, that, uh, yeah. that wasn't my focus. Yeah. Uh, I had just mentioned something about not serving pork on the airlines. Mm-hmm. I broke that rule when I, <laughs> when I prepared a uh, particular dish for first-class service on a flight we had daily from Miami to London. And it was a, uh, uh, a pork dish, and it was sauced with a, a red sauce with mustard and cream. And it was very, very popular. So whenever somebody asks about using pork in the airline, I tell them that story. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you about a few of your personal recipes. I know from previous conversations that you like to make soups. Yes, and you mentioned uh, some of the cold soups, like cucumber soup. Yes. What, what's the recipe for that, in, in broad strokes? Uh, and the cucumber, chilled cucumber soup that I make is made with cucumbers, obviously. The cucumbers need to be seeded, and then they are cooked with a bit of sliced onion until they're totally soft. And then it's run through a blender with other seasonings, lemon peel. And it's uh, thickened with flour and chilled. And it's really a very easy soup to make. And you can make it ahead. You can make the base and freeze it and hold it in the freezer for several weeks. And then just add the cream and and the lemon peel and picks up the flavor. And that sounds like a good summertime brunch type soup. Very much soup. so, yes. Parsnip soup. That that's, strikes me as a bit unusual, but the root vegetables are common in, in soups. Yes. What, what goes into that? I like cream of parsnip soup, and that, in my mind, has a, a little bit of curry in it. Oh, okay. And it can be served as a cold soup or a hot soup. We can't talk about cold soups without mentioning gazpacho, What's the secret to a good gazpacho? Ripe tomatoes. And obviously, some people expect their gazpacho to be crunchy, 
and some people prefer it to be smooth, almost like a cream soup, and I can do either one. You've been known to serve shrimp. If I had shrimp and orzo, what would I do? Well, I would probably chop the shrimp up, obviously cook them, cook them and remove the shell, and, and add it to the cooked orzo with appropriate seasonings. Old Bay seasoning is something that I associate with shrimp. Mm-hmm. I understand you do pickled shrimp. That strikes me as an unusual recipe. What, what goes into that? Cocktail shrimp. And you prepare the, you cook the shrimp the day before you're going to serve it, and it goes into a marinade that involves probably 10 or 12 different spices, and uh, cumin, cardamom, and olive oil, and sherry vinegar, and fresh dill, and you let it marinate overnight and then you serve it as an appetizer. It sounds delicious. I can taste it. The Wet Mountain Valley is not close to major food sources. How do you get the more unusual ingredients here in the valley, and and what in particular is tough to get? I find that we do most of our shopping in Denver, and we go back and forth to Denver, which is my primary residence, Mm -hmm. uh, pretty regularly. The things that I find difficult to get in the valley are um, fresh vegetables, unusual spices. What are a couple unusual spices that you use that other folks might not? Uh, I mentioned Old Bay seasoning. That's, That's one of them. And cardamom and cumin. In my spice rack, cumin is my number one used thing. Good. It ends up in guacamole and those, those sorts of dishes a lot. Charles, we're uh, running short of time. I'm hungry. I'm, I'm going to have to find a restaurant here pretty soon, I have a feeling. So thanks for stopping by and uh, sharing your experiences in the food industry and your personal uh, chefness. Thank you very much. <laughs> We've been visiting with Charles Anderson, local resident and food aficionado. My name's Gary, and we'll see you next time on Valley Views. You've been listening to Valley Views on KLZR 91.7 FM. Valley Views airs Tuesdays and Thursdays at 7 a.m. and 4 p.m. and again on Saturday morning at 10 a.m. Send your ideas and comments to comments at klzr.org. Valley Views is produced by the volunteers of KLZR 91.7 FM. I'm walking on a rainbow with my feet on solid ground. 